Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today holds a master's degree in art history and taught college courses throughout her career. She's also worked as an art gallery director, a lecturer for the Norton Simon Museum of Art, and recently as a Rhodes Scholar lecturer. She has led numerous art tours in Europe and at one point established a business in Paris, offering art history adventures for American tourists. She publishes a newsletter called For Lovers of Art and Travelers at Heart. When not traveling, she and her artist husband divide their time between the mountains and the beach in Southern California, Welcome to Authors Over 50, Zoe Designy. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. Zoe, our opening question is always, what took you so long to write your first book? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, as you said, I am an art historian. So for 30 some years, I was teaching art history um, it's my passion. It's the thing that really gets me excited. And I was doing tours in the summer and all that. So that was pretty much occupying all my time. But I always loved the idea of writing before I became an art historian. When my daughter, uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I thought I wanted to write children's books and I wanted to write them all in rhyme. Um, I took some courses that didn't go very far. Then while I was teaching, I, um, thought I wanted to write an art appreciation, not necessarily a textbook, but kind of a, um, a companion guide to go with textbooks that would be a little bit lighter and a little bit more entertaining. And that didn't go anywhere. Um, so writing was always sitting in the back of my mind, but it just, the situation just never happened to get me really started on something I would actually do. Well, what did happen? What did inspire you to write this book? Um, I, as I said, I did uh, tours in the summers and I met some very interesting people and had some interesting experiences doing that. And one particular experience was, was much more unique than the others. It was a totally unique experience for me. And I used to tell this story to people all the time, you know, basically anyone who would listen, I would tell the story because I thought it was funny and entertaining and most people liked it. And, um, but I never thought about writing it until, and I don't know what it was, but until it was 2013, I was telling a girlfriend who somehow had not heard the story yet. And I finished the story and she said, you should write that. And all of a sudden I thought I should write that. And 
I'd never thought of it before. And that's what did it. (laughs) Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I decided I would go, I would attempt the traditional route. I felt that my book is really a niche book, I believe. I think it's, it has a specific audience, but I think it's a very specific audience. So I sort of always figured it would not go with a traditional publisher, but I wanted that experience. Um, I was loving learning all about the writing world and um, not that querying was so lovely, that was painful, but <laughs> um, anyway, so I did that. I queried uh, agents for a year and, um, publishers who would accept directly from authors and all that. And at the end of the year, I decided I would go hybrid. I had considered doing self-publishing with me doing the whole thing, but I started this book a long time ago and I was a lot younger then. And I think the more I learned about self-publishing, the more I felt I really needed I really needed an expert to do this for me. I just didn't trust my skills. I didn't have any. So I went with a hybrid uh, publisher. I interviewed with several, and then I picked one that I thought would work best for me. Well, once you had this inspiration about this incident that happened to you, how did you determine the plot of the book? That was an issue. Since I wasn't trained as a writer, Um, I didn't know how to go about doing that. What I had was just this little story. I didn't have a novel. And I didn't even realize that in the beginning. I thought, oh, yeah, this is a novel. So it ended up being 20,000 words, which is not a novel. And I had to expand it. I still wanted to write it. I still wanted it to be a novel, but I had to expand it. I had to learn about plots. I had to learn about, you know, an arc in a story and, and, um, and twists and turns and all those kinds of things to make it into a full-blown novel. So it's sort of built from the inside out, you know, piece by piece um, until I finally got it to a point where I thought, I think this works, but that took a long time. Well, are there any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that helped improve that writing journey? Um, The Santa Barbara um, Writers Conference was the first one I went to, and that was extremely eye-opening to me. Um, I mean, it's such a different world, the writing world, if you've never been in it, that I had no idea. There's so many layers to it I couldn't have possibly imagined. So that was really wonderful. And I read books by a couple of artists, writers that talk about process. I went to the Writer's Digest conference a couple of times. That was excellent. Um, I took the um, Iowa workshop for international writing. Um, That was a wonderful experience. those were the things that I did. But the main thing I, I think if I were going to give anybody any advice about, you know, how to proceed when you have no clue, um, it would be to get editors. I think that was made all the difference for me and it was essential. And I really relied, I actually ended up with um, four editors over the course of writing this book. And each one in a very different way was extremely helpful and unbelievably helpful. And they recommended books and they recommended websites and that, you know, it was just, um, 
yeah, that was big. I was the same way. I became hooked on editing and editors and everyone would give me different advice. So I just kept going. I thought, well, they'll, they'll continue to improve this book. And after about five or six, I thought this book is finished. You need to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So true. It could go on forever. Something you can make. I know. Send it out into the world. Yeah. (laughs) Well, tell us a bit about the passages that you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice. Oh, okay. Um, So my book is called um, The Art of Traveling Strangers, and it is about an art historian whose life is falling apart, and she accepts a job as a tour guide, an art tour guide in Europe for a, a total stranger by the name of Viv. So I thought I would start at the very beginning. So I'll read you the first part of the book, which pretty much sets, I think, the tone for the book. So this is the beginning of chapter one. The odor, a peculiar blend of disinfectant, ozone, and jet fuel, tainted the air, but enticed me. I liked the smell of escape. Taking a deep breath, I pressed my head against the cold window and watched Los Angeles shrink below me into a cubist painting. Those once massive buildings of concrete, glass, and steel were now the abstract geometric shapes of Picasso. I smiled, life imitating art. That idea had always intrigued me, the belief that art could change our perception of reality. But this time, my attraction to the concept was even stronger. It offered hope. If chaotic L.A. could transform into a well-designed composition, why couldn't I? Leaning back in my seat, I embraced the escapist fantasy and pondered the art form I'd want to mimic. Certainly not cubism. It was too cerebral, and I already spent way too much time in my head. Expressionism was also out, too emotional. But the work of Nikki de Saint-Fal struck a chord. She was part of a 20th century art movement committed to new ways of perceiving the real. I liked that, and I adored her work. She was known for her whimsical sculptures of triumphant women, an art form I'd be happy to emulate. I envisioned myself as one of her creations, an imposing female figure wearing bold primary colors, lustrous metallic wings, and twirling confidently on tiptoe. But just as that vision began to take hold, a cabin light above me blinked off. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned off the no smoking sign and you are free to smoke at this time. Please refrain from smoking in the aisles, lavatories, and non-smoking sections of this aircraft. Thank you for your attention and enjoy your flight. Enjoy my flight. Now that posed a challenge. Although I was grateful to be traveling to Europe, far from the emotional turmoil of home, my getaway plan had a serious flaw, the 30-something woman seated next to me. She chewed her gum with mindless enthusiasm while reading the July issue of Fashion First magazine, apparently to discover the health benefits of crotchless pantyhose. Her name was Viv Chancy, and I, Claire Markham, a 30-something myself, would be her art guide in Europe for the next three weeks. I love that premise. I I love it. And I love your 
comparison of L.A. to Picasso's paintings. That was great. Thank you. What publicity have you been trying? Anything that worked or even that didn't work? Um, mostly that didn't work. Um, I've done a couple of things with my hybrid publisher, and they've been really supportive. They actually, I could buy a marketing program through them, which I did when I signed up with them. And they uh, went out to book clubs and uh, were able to get some people to know about the book, but it didn't really make much of a difference in terms of sales that I could really tell. I mean, it did start to get the word out, but um, it didn't do a whole lot. So then later on, I thought, well, maybe I would try a BookBub ad, um, which is different than their deals. You can actually, you know, get one of those ads. So they did that for me, but it completely fell apart. Nothing happened. They couldn't figure out what happened, but I didn't even have to pay for it. So that was a total bust. And then um, I, they suggested an Amazon ad. So I thought, okay, we'll go that way. And they created a really lovely ad for me, which I thought was really nice. And so we did that. And it was, um, how long was it? Two weeks. And in the end, there are lots of people that saw the ad. There were lots of people that clicked on the ad. In the end, I sold nine books. So that was not exactly a grand success. Um, so mostly for me, it's been more one-on-one -on -one kinds of interactions. Um, I've gone to a couple of book clubs that I've been able to speak at and a couple of women's clubs, which, um, and this is my demographic. It's women, it's women over 50. Um, it's women who like to travel. It's women who like art. And that's a very specific group of people. So I think that's probably my smarter route than more general advertising and you were at the pulpwood queens girlfriends weekend as yes, well you were on a panel and you were totally supported by friends and family so you do have a fan club i do i have a very nice network of friends and family so they're very supportive and um yeah they make a big difference for me so that was that was really fun unexpected and really fun so are you still conducting any tours in Europe? Are you going back to Paris? Um, I travel all the time, um, except during COVID. And, but I do it now just for my own enjoyment. I, I did tours for a really long time, and I taught for a really long time. And I love doing that. But there's something about being able to have your own time and go through museums on your own time frame and, um, and, and not have to be prepared to remember all the information that you would do in a tour. So yeah, it's more relaxed now. Do you ever Google yourself or read reviews? If so, how do you deal with the bad or the good ones? Um, you know, and I, I went to one of my conferences that about writing and one of the keynote speakers, this was a few years back before I had published my book, but I was working on it. Um, and it was Andrew Sean Greer who wrote Less, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And he was a delightful speaker. And someone asked him that question, you know, how do you handle, what do you do about reviews? And he looked out at the audience, and said, oh, for heaven's sakes, that's so easy. You just don't look at them. And I thought, what a good idea. <laughs> but of course I have, can't help but look a little bit. And um, when I get a bad review, which I do, 
I remind myself that my book is clearly not for everyone. Not everybody's going to enjoy this journey that this book goes on. Um, and so I think, okay, well, they're in that group of people who this book wasn't written for them. So that's kind of the way I look at it, try to look at it. I think that's very wise because some just don't even make sense. You know, they'll brag on your book and give you a three-star review, or they'll say, the book just didn't look right and give you a one-star review. And you're just like, that doesn't have anything to do with the story. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I always like to ask people who write under a pseudonym, what inspired you to do so? Um, well, my real name, my real last name is very famous. My real last name is Disney. And I thought, if I published under that last name and someone tried to find me or Google me, they would get every single famous Disney in the world and I would be lost somewhere in the shuffle. And then if they did find me and they knew I wrote a book, they would probably think I was writing about my famous family name or about Disneyland or Disney World or Walt or something. and would be very disappointed to find out that I'm not writing anything that has to do with my last name. So I just thought I would try a different name. <laughs> I think that's that's a wise decision when you have a name like that, that that does um, come up in all the Google searches or or relate to a family that maybe you're not even a part of and you don't want to be confused with. Yeah, I do. I think it was I'm glad I did it. It, it what it does do, though, is if you do have connections with people that know you under your real name it kind of cuts that off so i realize that that's a negative to it but um i just think in the end it's probably just better to go under the pseudonym do you have any other books in you maybe um i thought I, a sequel might work for this book because it could still be Claire, the art history tour guide, and she could have a different client with different issues. And one of my favorite parts of writing this book was going to see the works of art in the different museums and making those works of art teach a lesson to the women who were looking at the artwork. And I think art can do that. And I think it would be fun to try to develop another story with another set of issues that when they go to see certain works of art um, all of a sudden the message in the work of art helps them along their journey so that was fun for me I enjoyed doing that so that's kind of what I was thinking about in this the sequel instead of taking place mostly in Italy would take place uh, mostly in France and Paris so but that's as far as I've gotten <laughs> No, I think that's a great idea. And, and you've had so many experiences with tours and with all those art museums and with, with women that you'll be able to write something really spectacular to follow this. Well, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> well, as always, Zoe, our last question is our writers over 50 are unique. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I do, based on my experience. Um, if you're a writer and your background is not writing, if that's not where you got your degree or you got your education, 
Um, I think it's really important to learn about the writing world from the very beginning. And in learning about the writing world, making connections with the writing world. Um, looking back, I think for me, since I started writing right about the time I retired, it would have been really smart to do, like, get a part-time job in a bookstore or or something or, or become an intern for an agent or something that would have helped me understand how it worked. And one of the things I have learned how it works with everything is it's who you know. So if you get to know someone who's in that world, who knows someone that can recommend your book, you have a huge leg up. And I, I think that's a really important thing. And then the other thing I already mentioned, uh, editors. I mean, they were my lifeblood. This is a totally different book and each editor made it a different book. So um, those are the two things I, th I think in looking back were the most important. I think that's very wise. And I would love to go back and, and be in the, the publishing world. I, I think I would be a great agent for someone else. You know, it's <laughs> so much easier for me to promote you than it is to promote myself. So I, I think that's a, a great way. And of course, you get to read all those wonderful manuscripts and be able to suggest those that you think are really going to be important. So that, that would be a fun thing to do if maybe people are younger than I am and, and can do that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I wish I had thought of it sooner. Yeah, great advice. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We're excited to have you and to learn about your journey and 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 setting up a business in Paris and living a, such an exciting life. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Thank you so much. This is really fun talking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third. <laughs>